You're saving for retirement. You're already on track to max out your 401k, but you still have extra income that you want to save somewhere. Where should you put it? Learn all that and more in today's episode. This is another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole, and I'm here to teach you how to get the most out of life with your money. And now, on to the episode. One of the nice things about a 401k plan, outside of the tax benefits, outside of, of course, the saving and investing opportunities, is the ease of it. It's just very convenient to go to payroll, say, pull out this percentage of money, put it into these funds, and then you really don't have to think about it that much going forward. Sure, you should do some rebalances, and sure, you should make sure that your allocation is up to date depending on where you are in your retirement time horizon, but there's not a whole lot of activity that you need to be engaged with with your 401k plan, and this, in my opinion, is actually one of the key benefits, is the ability to set things up automate things, and then it's out of sight, out of mind. We don't have to consciously think about what we're doing with the next dollar or with the next contribution. The hard part is a lot of people, they'll come to me and they'll say, hey, I'm on track to max out my 401k, or I've already maxed out my 401k. What do I do next? You know, the 401k, there's the tax benefits, there's the matching contributions, there's the ease of use as we talked about. Sometimes it's overwhelming for people to think through, what do I do after Max my 401k? So that's exactly what we're going to talk about in today's episode. But real quick, wanted to highlight the review of the week just to say thank you very much to those of you who are leaving reviews. It's helping a lot of people find the show. So I appreciate you all doing that. This one is from username thinking listener. The title is learn more. It's a five-star review. And it says, if you want to know more, learn key underlying details of financial planning concepts. This is a great podcast. No empty noise or opinions, just mostly lots of useful facts in a clear presentation style filled with useful situation examples. Well, thank you very much for that review. Thank you to all of you who are leaving reviews. It's fun to see the feedback of people emailing me directly or those of you leaving reviews on iTunes or wherever you listen. Really appreciate it. And again, helps the show to grow, helps more people find the information they need to retire comfortably. So with that, let's jump into today's episode. And too often, I see people make the mistake of thinking they want a black and white answer. Okay, I've maxed out my 401k plan. What's next? As if there's an order of operations or kind of an order in which we should be saving to different accounts. And to some extent, there is. And I'm going to walk through that. But big picture, we want to understand before talking about where should you save your next dollar, we need to first understand how much should you be saving and to which goal should you be saving so we can get an accurate assessment of where are those savings best utilized. And really the principle of this is your decision of where should you save your extra income after maxing your 401k, it should only be made in the context of a well-constructed financial plan meaning there's not a universal answer that's going to be the same answer for you and for me and for the next person. It's going to depend. And to show why, let's look at an example of three people. And let's assume that we have three people. Each of them are age 55. Each of them wants to retire at age 65. Let's assume all three of these individuals have independently gone through a financial planning process. And for simplicity, let's assume that they all determine they need exactly $1 million at age 65 to retire comfortably. So three people, same age, same retirement date, same goal. Let's also assume that they are all maxing their 401k, which for 2023 is $30,000 per year, and they all get the exact same 6% growth between now and age 65, so for the next 10 years. Well, it would seem at first maybe all these people should have the same order in which they should save to the next account. You know, once they've maxed their 401k, 
they should all be doing the next thing, right? They're the same age. They're getting the same growth. They have the same financial goals, at least in terms of retirement age and retirement amount needed. But there's very different answers for each of these individuals. Let's look at why. Let's assume that individual number one has $800,000 saved for retirement already. Let's assume that individual number two has $350,000 saved for retirement already. And let's assume person number three has $0 saved for retirement already. So it seemed like kind of arbitrary numbers. They are kind of cherry picking some numbers to illustrate this point here. But the question we're trying to answer is each of these individuals, where should they save after they've maxed their 401k plan? Well, let's take this further. Let's go back to individual number one who has $800,000 saved. And again, the goal is to reach $1 million by age 65. Well, if this person saved nothing to retirement, so let's even eliminate the $30,000 per year. We're assuming they're saving to their 401k. If they just got that 6% growth from now until age 65, so over the next 10 years, that $800,000 would go to $1.43 million in 10 years with zero contributions. If you factor contributions in at $30,000 per year, now they're closer to $1.83 million with those contributions. So where should that person save the excess income? Well, maybe they shouldn't. At least maybe they shouldn't earmark it or save it dedicated to retirement only. Maybe they should save less. Maybe they should save just enough to get the free match, which of course, at a minimum, you want to make sure that you're doing. And I say this because it's never bad to save more. I don't want to make it sound like you shouldn't save. Saving is a good thing. It's more cushion. It's more margin for error. It's more flexibility. It's more income potential in retirement. So there's all these good aspects of savings. Just if you already are on track for your goals, just make sure you're not saving at the expense of living more today or at the expense of doing other things or accomplishing other goals that are also important. There's always that sense of what's the opportunity cost of everything that I'm doing with my dollar and make sure that you're looking at that from a holistic standpoint. So we're not trying to perfectly hit a target here like I'm talking about, but have this conceptual idea of am I on track or not? And for this individual, if they're already sitting at $800,000 and they're maxing their 401k, my feedback might be, is there anything else you want to consider doing with extra income before we think about putting more away for retirement? Now let's go to person number two. Person number two had $350,000 with the same goals otherwise. And person number two, if they have $350,000, they max out their 401k at $30,000 per year. They get 6% growth for 10 years. Well, they're perfectly on track to have just over a million bucks, $1,022,000. So where should this person save more? They've already maxed their 401k. Well, I certainly wouldn't tell them to save less. Like I might have that conversation with individual number one, but I don't necessarily think that they need to save more. And again, I'll go back to my previous comment. Saving more can be a good thing when it comes to more cushion, more margin for error, more flexibility. But if this person's wrestling with wanting to save more for the future and wanting to live more today or do more today, well, we might have the conversation of, look, you're very much on track with your current savings rate. I'm not even sure that you do need to save more going forward. And then finally, person number three, the individual who we're assuming has $0 saved for retirement, but is also maxing out their 401k at $30,000 per year. Well, that's projected to grow to $395,000 by the time that they are 65. So as we look at that, that individual would absolutely need to save more to reach their goals, or they would need to adjust their goals. Because at the current savings rate, because they're starting with nothing, there's just not going to be the growth needed to get to where they want to go. In fact, if you look at this, for assuming a 6% growth rate, this individual would need to save about $76,000 per year 
starting at age 55 with nothing in retirement savings in order to hit that $1 million mark at age 65. So these, of course, are just arbitrary examples, but I think people are too quick to rush into where should I save next? What should I do next? Wanting a black and white answer, and the answer really is it depends. Let's understand first where are you in the context of your goals, understand first how much you actually need to save, and then we can start working through what's the next thing to do with the next dollars. But if you're already on track for your retirement goals, and you don't have any intention of retiring early or increasing spending a ton in retirement, then ask yourself first, what could you spend that money on today? Travel, family activities, home improvement, giving, etc. At least consider those questions. It's not saying you have to do that, but make sure you have a well-rounded view of what your dollars can do for you. And then after you've gone through that step, now let's get to the actual direct answer of what should you do with your next dollars. So with these next options I'm going to provide, they're somewhat in an order of operations that I would consider first. Everyone's situation is different, so some of these might be better for some people. For others, they might not be quite as good. But I'm going to list them in the order that I would consider first. So not necessarily best to worst, but at least things that I would highlight first to kind of work through this list together. The first thing is a health savings account. Now, not everyone has a health savings account or an HSA, but the beautiful thing is if you are covered by a high deductible health plan, you are eligible for an HSA. Now, with an HSA, you can put up to $7,750 if you're a couple, $3,850 into it if you're an individual, and then there's a catch-up contribution of 1000 bucks if you're 55 or older. What I love about HSAs is it's really the only account that's triple tax-free. By triple tax-free, what I mean is it's tax-deductible on the way in, so you get a tax deduction, at least at the federal level, as you put money in. There's two states, California and New Jersey, that don't recognize HSAs, so it's not tax-deductible there. But at the federal level, it is. The growth is tax-free, and then if you pull that money out for qualified medical expenses, the withdrawal is actually tax-free. So unlike IRAs or Roth IRAs or 401ks or Roth 401ks, you're either paying taxes at the beginning or paying taxes at the back end when you pull money out. With the HSA, there's the potential for this to be triple tax free. So wonderful benefits for that, which is why I like people to consider that. Not everyone has access to an HSA. So if you don't have a high deductible health plan, you can't contribute to this. But if you do, that would be a wonderful place to look to contribute if you've already maxed out your 401k. And really, maybe even before you've maxed out your 401k, but I'm coming at this from the standpoint of uh, someone who has maxed 401k and has done nothing else, what should they be doing? Another option is your Roth IRA. Now, the limit for your Roth IRA for 2023 is $6,500. What sometimes people don't know is if you are married and one spouse isn't working, you can both have Roth IRAs as long as there's combined income that exceeds how much you're putting into the Roth. So if you have one spouse that's staying at home, they say, oh, I can't do a Roth IRA. I don't have earned income. Well, if the spouse that's working has earned income, you can both do a Roth IRA contribution. And again, for 2023, the limit's $6,500. And if you're 50 or older, it's $7,500 per spouse. So as you're looking at that, that's a great place to put money. One of the challenges for many people is there are income phase outs for Roth IRA eligibility. If you are single and you make over $138,000 of adjusted gross income, modified adjusted gross income, I should say, you start getting phased out. And if your income as a single person is over $153,000, you're 
you are fully phased out, meaning the IRS won't let you put money directly into a Roth IRA. If you are married filing jointly, the phase out starts at $218,000, meaning if you earn under a $218,000 of adjusted or modified adjusted gross income, you can make a full Roth IRA contribution. If your income exceeds $228,000, you cannot make a Roth contribution. And if it's between $218,000 and $228,000, you can make a partial contribution because you're in that phase out range. Now, if you're above the income limits, you can still consider a backdoor Roth IRA contribution. There are lots of rules to this and a lot of ways that people get tripped up on this. So make sure you talk to your financial advisor, make sure you talk to your CPA before doing this. But even if your income exceeds those thresholds, you may still be eligible for a backdoor Roth conversion or backdoor Roth contribution where you can still get the same amount of money into that Roth IRA, but there's more of a roundabout way that you have to go about doing that. I'm not going to go over all the rules today because we don't have time for today's episode, but if your income exceeds that threshold and you always thought, oh, I'm not eligible for a Roth, you may or may not be depending on what types of investments you have and what types of investment accounts you have, but it's worth considering with your financial advisor or your CPA if you're thinking, okay, maybe I am actually eligible. Now, after HSA, after Roth IRA, maybe the next place to look is after-tax contributions to your 401k if available. Not every 401k plan has this as an option, but when you look at 401ks, there's many different types of contributions that you can make. Depending on what your plan allows, there's always the traditional contribution that you can make. There's sometimes Roth contributions that you can make, but whether it's traditional or Roth, both of these count against the $30,000 that you can put in, assuming you're 50 or older, of course, and $22,500 if you're under 50. So pre-tax and Roth 401k contributions both count against that limit, but some plans also offer what's called an after-tax contribution. When you make an after-tax contribution, there's no tax deduction for the contribution, so it's similar to a Roth 401k contribution in that sense, but any growth on that money is not happening tax-free. It's just happening tax-deferred. So what ends up happening is if you're making after-tax 401k contributions, any of those contributions that you've made, those roll over to your Roth IRA when you retire because you didn't get a tax deduction for that, that's after tax, it goes to your after tax Roth IRA. But as I mentioned, the growth on that is not tax free, it's just tax deferred. So when you retire, the growth on your after tax contributions rolls to your traditional IRA, where you would then pay taxes as you pull that money out over time. If you can immediately convert your after tax contribution once you make it to your Roth 401k, That is the best case scenario. Again, talk to your CPA, talk to your financial advisor before you do any of this. But if you make the after-tax contribution and then convert it to your Roth 401k, that's what's known as a mega backdoor Roth conversion because it's like the same thing as doing your backdoor Roth contribution only on a larger scale because within a 401k, the after-tax contribution limits are much higher than they are to your traditional IRA, which is 6,500 or 7,500 if you're older than 50. So again, with that one too, there's a lot of details. So make sure you're talking to your financial advisor or CPA because you can get it wrong. You can end up owing taxes. You can end up doing something that backfires. But if that is available to you, it's a great way to keep saving for your retirement goals even after you've maxed out what's called your elective deferral amount, which is the initial $22,500 if you're under 50 or $30,000 if you are 50 or older. 
Another great option of where you can save if you've already maxed out your 401k is just a regular brokerage account. So a brokerage account, this could be an individual account, this could be a joint account, this could be a trust account. It's kind of a broad term that just describes anything that's not a retirement account. So it's not an IRA, it's not a Roth IRA, it's not any qualified retirement account, just a brokerage account. Now, to me, these are one of the most undervalued or underutilized accounts, and I think it's because retirement accounts have contribution limits. So we make our goal almost to fill up a limit of, okay, I need to fill up my IRA contribution limit, or I need to fill up my 401k contribution limit. And so there's these built-in goals for it, whereas with the brokerage account, it's just there. You could put in 100 bucks, you could put in 100 million bucks. There's no limit for how much you can put in, but it takes some intentionality behind it. You're not going to fund it through payroll deferral like you would with a 401k. But one of the wonderful things about a brokerage account is there's tons of flexibility. With an IRA or 401k, you can't touch it until retirement, or at least 59 and a half. With a 529 plan, you can't touch it except for college. Well, with a taxable account, it's always accessible. It's always available to you. Now, you might pay taxes on the growth. You will pay taxes on the growth. But there's no early withdrawal penalty. For people who are saying, hey, I want to save long term, but I've kind of already done enough to be on track for retirement, but I still want to put more money away because I have it. I don't want it just to sit in my savings account. Well, this is a wonderful tool to use because you can fund a brokerage account and you could use that money to live on in retirement. Or you could use that money to pay for a vacation, or you could use that money to buy a new home, or you could use that money to buy a car. There's anything you can do with it. There's total flexibility with what you can do with it. Now, the downside is there's not any tax benefits for it, but this is a wonderful place to save and invest your money if you've already maxed out some of the tax benefits that are afforded from accounts like 401ks or IRAs. Another thing that you can do with extra income is if you don't necessarily want to invest it or save it, maybe you pay down debt. Now, when you're paying down debt, depending on the interest rate of your debt, that maybe should actually be the first thing you're looking at. If you have credit card debt, for example, with really high interest rates in the high teens or even 20s, I would not even think about saving or investing until I'd paid down that debt. The reason for this is when we invest our money, we're hoping to long-term, depending on the investment makeup we have, maybe grow by anywhere between, call it 5 and 10% per year. If you're looking at a moderate or conservative or aggressive portfolio, that's going to determine the range, but call it 5 to 10% just for simplicity. Well, if I'm investing my dollars to maybe get even on the high end of that, call it 10%, but I'm paying the bank 18% for this credit card debt I have, I am losing money by default. So instead of putting money into an uncertain investment that hopefully over time grows by 10%, why would I not instead redirect that to pay down my credit card debt and in essence get a guaranteed 18% return on investment on that if that's what my interest rate is on my credit card? So if you have high interest rate debt, that is the first thing that you should think of before even paying down or before even investing. If it's low interest debt, say a home mortgage or something else, there's not a great financial reason to pay that down. You know, I'm talking about people who may be locked in a really low interest rate in 2020 or 2021. If you're at 2.75% on your mortgage, there's not a great financial reason to pay that down if you have extra income, but there is a wonderful psychological reason or emotional reason to pay that down. And when you think about it, the reason we save and invest isn't just to save and invest for the sake of doing it. It's to create financial security. It's to be on track for the things that we want to do. But security is a huge part of finances. And if paying off a mortgage 
even a mortgage at a low interest rate, if that provides peace of mind and that provides security, then it's hard to really quantify that return, but it's very large. It's accomplishing its goal of giving you more financial peace. So paying down debt can be a wonderful thing to do with extra income. If you have high interest rate debt, you should absolutely be attacking that first. But even if you have lower interest rate debt, it can still be a great thing to do for overall peace of mind. Another thing you could potentially look to do with extra income, and this is only if you're in a plan where you have stock compensation or only at a company where you have stock compensation. But for any of you who have what's called an employee stock purchase plan, this is a great thing to take advantage of. I mention it closer towards the bottom of this list because not many people have it. But if you do have it, it can be a wonderful thing. What it is, is it's a stock plan where you put money in and it's typically over a period of about six months and your company then allows you to buy the company's stock at a 15% discount from what it otherwise would have been at the beginning or end of the period. I'm not typically a huge fan of investing a ton in company stock, but because you're doing this and getting a guaranteed 15% discount, it's giving you a minimum guarantee of 17.6% return on investment. Why 17.6? Well, look at it this way. If I have a company stock plan, so a company employee stock purchase plan, and if I'm participating in that, let's assume that at the beginning of the period where I started putting money in, the company stock was at 100 bucks, and at the end of the six-month period, it was also at 100 bucks. just to use a simple example. Well, if the plan gives me a 15% discount on my company stock, I get to buy that stock at $85 a share, but it's immediately worth $100 per share. There's some tax implications to this. I'm not going to touch on those today. So again, talk to a CPA or financial advisor. But if I can buy stock at $85, it immediately becomes worth $100. That's a $15 return on $85 per share. 15 divided by 85 is 17.6% guaranteed return on investment if I sell the stock as soon as it vests or as soon as it's purchased assuming I'm not in any type of restricted trading window or company blackout window. So that can be a wonderful guaranteed return on investment. Not a ton of people have access to employee stock purchase plans, but if you do, I would certainly consider adding funds there for the potential guaranteed growth that you can get if you manage the plan correctly. Another thing that you can do with extra income is just save to cash. Not everything has to be about investment. Do you save the cash to pad up an emergency fund? Do you pad up cash or save up cash just to have extra cash buffer going into retirement? Again, to increase that sense of financial security, that sense of confidence going into retirement. Do you save the cash not to necessarily save long-term, but to prepare for that next vacation or to prepare for that next car purchase or to prepare for kids going to college or some other major expense. Saving the cash isn't necessarily a bad thing if you don't have enough cash already saved. And then finally, the last thing, and this is kind of bringing it back full circle, for what should you do with extra income after you've maxed your 401k? Potentially spend it. Remind yourself, what is this money for? This money is here to allow you to do what you want to do both today and in the future. And don't get so future obsessed and so future focused that you lose sight of the bigger picture, which is your cash should enable you to live a better life. Your income should allow you to live a more aligned life where you're using your money to buy things, to do things that lead to greater quality of life. Now, part of that means saving and preparing for your future, 
But another part of that means make sure you're doing the things today so you're not going to look back one day and say, gosh, I saved all this money for my retirement, but sacrifice things along the way that would have been meaningful to me. So as you go through this, I hope this was a helpful list of things that you can look at. And step number one, of course, is understanding the greater context of your financial plan. How much do you need to save for retirement? How much do you need to save long term? If you need to save more or if you just have extra income that you want to put anywhere, I hope this list of resources or of options was helpful, but also consider, are there other things you can do with that money today that have nothing to do with saving and investing? So that is it for today's episode. Thank you as always for listening, and I'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're looking to work with a financial advisor that cares deeply about helping you get the most out of life with your money, head over to our website at rootfinancialpartners.com and click start here. One of our advisors would love the opportunity to speak with you. You can also find the show notes for today's episode on our website, along with other great content that will help you to create a wonderful retirement. And finally, if you have a question that you'd like for me to answer in a future episode, then from our website, click on the learn tab, scroll down just a bit on that page, and then click submit a question to submit a question that I will answer in a future episode. Again, that can all be found at rootfinancialpartners.com. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.